Hello and welcome to the GTR News Brief. Today we have a special end of year edition looking back at the top stories from the world of trade and trade finance this year. Over the past 12 months, GTR's editorial team has written news stories covering a huge range of themes and cutting across various regions globally, Asia, the Americas, Europe, the Middle East and North Africa, and Sub-Saharan Africa. And having conducted analysis of total page views across the GTR News website, we've picked out five of the most popular topics among our readers in 2021. And we thought in this episode, we'd give you a brief overview of those. Today, I'm joined by senior reporters Eleanor Rag and John Basquill, as well as reporter Jacob Atkins. We'll be taking a look at the 2021 supply chain crisis and why these effects are likely to last well into next year. We'll also be discussing the acceleration of trade digitalisation efforts in 2021. But where better to start off than Greensill? Now, John, you've been covering this story since early March, when reports first started surfacing that the supply chain finance provider was in serious trouble. I'm sure our readers are pretty familiar with the saga already, but could you give us a brief outline of what the main developments have been and why this story is such a significant one for the trade finance industry? As you say, I think people will be pretty familiar with this one. Um, But essentially, the trigger for for Greensill's insolvency was that um, was that it lost insurance cover, which was worth uh, around four and a half billion dollars, which gave protection against non-payment. And that sort of applied across a a big chunk of its supply chain finance funds Um, that prompted Credit Suisse to to freeze investment. And suddenly this sort of huge name in in supply chain finance. uh, was was uh, insolvent uh, kind of within around a week of that. Um, I think in terms of our coverage, there are two main areas we're still looking into now. So the first is um, future receivables. So this is essentially where financing is provided against invoices that haven't yet been approved, but are expected to be approved further down the line. Um, so generally this, this relates to Sanjeev Gupta's GFG alliance. Um, which is sort of a loose network of metals companies um, and commodity traders, or historically commodity traders anyway. Um, after Greensill's insolvency, the, um, uh, the administrators found these invoices uh, related to GFG Alliance companies that had been used to raise financing from Greensill, but where the, uh, the company on the other side had no knowledge of the invoices, um, in some cases hadn't ever done business with with that particular GFG company. Um, Sanjeev Gupta said these were examples of future receivables. So um, the transactions didn't exist yet, but they were likely to in future. Um, But Greensill has uh, since said it only ever financed future receivables where there was an existing relationship, uh, where there was kind of pre-existing evidence of cash flows. So that's still an open question. the other topic we're looking at is insurance. So there have been questions over the validity of that insurance cover in the first place. Um, and, uh, and more broadly, we, we expect investors or, or banks to be a bit more wary about relying on insurance cover as a sort of catch-all protection, regardless of the underlying risk. And last year in 2020, we saw major commercial banks cut their exposure to the commodity finance sector in the wake of a string of fraud scandals. These stories were often the most popular on the website last year. Various scandals took place. You had Agritrade, Hindion or Zenrock, just to name a few. Has the commodity finance sector continued to grapple 
with similar issues this year? Yeah, so first of all, we're still very much seeing the after effects of those those 2020 fraud scandals. Um, so Agritrade and Hinleong were, were probably the two that had the, the, the most substantial impact on the trade finance market. Um, so uh, the initial response back in 2020, some of the big European banks sort of withdrew from commodity finance or, or scaled back their operations. But um, more recently, throughout 2021, we've seen... Um, funding has been concentrated at the larger end of the market. So this is what larger traders have, have called a, a flight to quality. So essentially what's happening is the larger traders are posting record profits, doing more business than ever before, but SME traders are still struggling to get trade finance lines from, from banks. Um, so part of this is still sort of risk related. The banks are a bit more cautious around doing business with these smaller companies that they might not know so well. Um, but there are more sort of structural factors too. So first, um, smaller traders don't really have access to financial markets. It's harder for them to hedge risks around currency prices and things like that, whereas larger traders are able to do that. And they're, they, they're seen as a, a kind of a safer bet from the, from the bank's perspective. Um, and then second, since industrial activity has picked up, we've seen huge demand and, and kind of limited supply for certain materials or certain commodities. Um, that's led to huge price rises, huge price volatility, um, and that creates another problem for smaller traders. So what might have been a $1 million trade a couple of years ago might now be a $5 million trade. So they actually need more financing from banks at a time when banks are least likely to provide them. Trade finance digitalization was another well-read topic on the GTR site. Coming to you, Eleanor, what sort of progress has been made this year? Are we seeing barriers to digitalization swiftly removed? Yeah, so 2021 seems to have been the year when the puzzle pieces started to slot into place. So we seem now to have gone from disparate initiatives and various silos of people working to digitize their own little corners to what feels a lot more like an industry-wide push where everyone's facing in the same direction. So just to give you a quick rundown, because there are a lot of developments that have happened, I think, first of all, Melita adoption is picking up following the G7 ministerial pledge in May. In fact, we saw the first Melita-enabled transaction between Singapore and Abu Dhabi in November. In October, the ICC managed to thrash out its uniform rules for digital trade transactions, which it says will serve as a framework for a future fully digital trade environment. And the industry continues to innovate as well. So in what was one of our most read stories this year, um, trade finance asset distribution fintech TradeTech completed the world's first trade finance based NFT transaction on the Singapore based XDC blockchain network. Thanks for that, Eleanor. And we'd be remiss not to talk about supply chains in our wrap up of the 2021 coverage. Jacob, Maybe you could explain a bit about why freight rates are soaring and are we likely to see an end to the supply chain crisis anytime soon? Well, one of the main reasons that shipping costs for good for goods have gone up so much is that during the early part of the pandemic, there was this huge plunge in demand, which then suddenly kind of returned at such a rapid pace uh, later in the year. But at the same time that there were ongoing disruptions to uh, manufacturing and logistics due to the pandemic. Um, and, and this year, actually, we've seen most of the results of those price rises, often in the hundreds um, of percent, like 200 to 300% on pre-pandemic and 2020 levels. 
And at the moment, those prices are still way higher than pre-pandemic, um, particularly for ship for routes between Asia and Europe and Asia and the US, but they have fallen off peaks, their peaks from earlier this year. And some shipping lines have imposed price freezes. I think part of that is also the competition regulators are keeping a close eye on those uh, shipping companies as well. And also the, but at the same time, the container shortage uh, in China is still quite severe. And we're also seeing a record wait times uh, in major US ports like Los Angeles and Long Beach, for example. And you ask if the supply chain crisis is gonna ease anytime soon. Well, the short answer appears to be yes. Some are forecasting relief in 2022, but alas, not until the second half, most likely. Some insurers say that uh, China's zero COVID policy will mean that there'll continue to be disruption in key ports. And there's also be delays and demand dynamics caused by the Chinese New Year in late January and early February. But the same insurers and others expect things to improve in the second half of 2022 due to inventories filling out again and new shipping capacity uh, coming online and other improvements. ESG has obviously been a major topic this year as well, with the COP26 climate summit having been staged in November. In the trade finance space, for instance, efforts are underway to develop standards aimed at defining what constitutes a sustainable trade finance transaction. And in the export finance space, we're starting to see an end to coal financing, aren't we? So, Jacob, could you maybe walk us through sustainability efforts in the export credit sector? Yeah, I mean, obviously, ESG this year, especially the E and ESG, has been huge because of the COP26 climate summit in Glasgow in November, um, which kind of spurred lots of announcements both before and during it. There were several export credit agencies that uh, spelled out how they're going to achieve a goal of net zero by 2040 or 2050, which was new. And uh, in a much more kind of closer goal, a, a group of ECAs, mainly from Europe, also announced at COP26 that they are going to end pretty much all backing for oil, coal and gas uh, by the end of 2022, which delighted uh, sort of usually critical campaigners. I think in next year, in 2022 and 2023 as well, it's going to be really interesting to see whether oil and gas end up be being as sort of out of fashion as coal has become um, over the last couple of years for commercial banks, insurers and ECAs in Europe and the US, but also in Asia, which is home to both sort of LNG exporters and major importers. And how about the trade finance sector, Eleanor? What type of progress have we seen in this space? Well, this year, progress has been made in tackling the long-standing challenge of defining what is and isn't sustainable in trade finance and how that can be measured. Um, in November, the ICC published a proposed standardised framework that will provide a score of the sustainability credentials of a given transaction across each dimension, right? Environmental, human, social and economic. And the business organisation is now undergoing what it's calling the biggest um, consultation exercise in its history to ensure that this is workable. In other developments, trade data and analytics provider Coriolis Technologies has set up a working group made of 25 banks, insurers and professional bodies, including the ICC, ITFA, BAFT and the Asian Development Bank, that together will drive the adoption of the Cosmos ECG scoring tool, which essentially will provide an accurate and objective way to measure against the ICC framework 
or indeed any other set of ESG standards. Great stuff. Well, thanks to all of you, John, Jacob and Anna. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. The GTR News Brief will be back in 2022 with more coverage of the top stories from the world of trade and trade finance. We wish you all the best for the festive season. Thanks for listening. The music used for this episode was provided by Kevin McLeod with his track Loopster, as well as South London Hi-Fi with their track Sunrise Drive. Thanks for listening.